This is Here's Your Permission to Stop Chasing Missing Student Assignments by Tim Cavey. I still remember the conversation like it was yesterday. A teaching colleague looked me earnestly in the face, her expression a mix of concern and compassion, and said something I've never forgotten. It really doesn't make a difference if a student misses one or two spelling quizzes, she said. Once you've recorded their scores from five quizzes, their average hardly changes after that. Of course, this was back at a time in my career when I thought middle school spelling lists, worksheets, and quizzes were great pedagogy. And I recorded numbers in my gradebook. And I calculated averages. I don't do any of that anymore. But my colleague's point is enduringly true and as impactful in my practice as ever. Let me explain. This is how sad things actually were for me. At the time I received this advice, I was giving spelling quizzes once a week to my 7th graders. It looked something like this. Monday, introduce a new list of 25 spelling and vocabulary words. Wednesday, give students a worksheet of exercises based on these words. And Friday, give students a quiz. Over the course of a term, this could add up to something like 9 to 12 quiz results for every student in my gradebook. That's a lot of numbers. To my colleague's point, by the time I entered in the 9th or 10th score out of 25 in my gradebook, it would be surprising if the average at the end of the row even moved by 1%. That was both silly and sad because it meant that no one was being served in any sense. All that time checking quiz 9 and carefully recording those scores? A complete waste of my time. It got worse. If a student missed a quiz due to illness or any other reason, my instinct would be to reschedule them. As in, if Melissa missed quiz 9 on Friday, I might take part of my lunch break the following Monday to make sure that Melissa got the quiz finished. Half the time it would be the student themselves pushing me on it. Can I write my spelling quiz now, Mr. Cavey? That's the sound of a confident speller ready for yet another 25 out of 25. Are we equating full grade books with professional competency? So here's the question. Why give Quiz 9 to Melissa at all? Think about it. My gradebook didn't need more evidence of spelling proficiency from any of my students, assuming it ever did. Melissa didn't stand to learn or gain anything from the quiz itself other than shallow validation. No, I wasn't making students go back to write misspelled words five times. And the quiz couldn't be considered formative in any true sense since it didn't shape my instructional decisions or helpfully inform the student regarding next steps of learning. At the time, I might have thought things like, but the more data you have in your gradebook, the more fair you are to the student and the more precise the final assessment will be. Or, if every cell in my gradebook has a number in it, that's proof of my professional competency. I now say that's rubbish. More than 15 years later, I'm reminded of the spelling quizzes principle when I see or hear about teachers who spend inordinate amounts of time pursuing students for unsubmitted assignments. In a given week, a typical middle or high school teacher might post as many as 20 assignments, I prefer to call them learning activities when I can, with various products required for submission across classes, subjects, or courses. 
With class sizes averaging around 25 students, it's not unreasonable to imagine this teacher on the receiving end of more than 400 products or artifacts of learning in a week. It's not the situation in every context and it may not be the norm for you. Some courses may be entirely in class while other classes may engage in larger projects that carry over from block to block without specific due dates or required uploads. Still, the point remains, student submissions can add up quickly in a single week. For a single teacher, where a lot has been assigned, a lot will come in. Then the reality, not every student has submitted the required products by the due date or deadline. What should the responsible teacher do? Here's how some teachers respond. One, they update checklists of unsubmitted assignments on a weekly or daily basis. Two, they regularly post names of students whose work is overdue on the classroom whiteboard or digital equivalents. Missing essays, Brian, Jackie, Solomon, Jenny, Stefan. Three, they meet one-on-one -on -one with the students whose work is missing. Four, they email students or send direct reminders via the LMS. Five, they set up special study hall sessions at recess breaks, lunch breaks, or after school that offending students must attend in order to complete and submit all required assignments. And six, they email parents to inform them of the specific assignments that their children have not submitted. These teachers mean well, and some of these measures have their place, at least in spirit. But it's also true that this pattern of teacher behavior can become a bottomless pit. All of the tracking and communication I've listed here can take huge amounts of time on top of everything else a teacher must do week in and week out. Chasing students from missing assignments can become a cruel obsession. Unsubmitted work tends to snowball. Days of tracking and chasing can turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. Problematic trends build over time. Five missing assignments after week one can become 53 by week seven. By term's end, these responsible teachers have run themselves ragged. Despair and cynicism threaten to take over as teachers once on fire burn out entirely. In the midst of it all, unsuccessful nagging of offending students has ruined their chances for meaningful relationships. I think there's a better way to do things. Is this really about the student's learning journey or has it become an issue of compliance? Here's a bold statement. Teachers shouldn't feel guilty about not chasing every single student assignment that isn't submitted. This is more than just sensible self-preservation. It's also about brain science and academic research. Generally speaking, kids learn best and most when they're in the classroom. They're observing the modeling done by the teacher. They're engaged in the learning activity. They're collaborating with peers. They're receiving real-time feedback on iterations of work. Exceptions exist, of course, but students are generally not learning as effectively when they're working at home in isolation and without real-time teacher support. Add the additional context of work happening two or three weeks after the learning was the focus of in-class activities, and these assignments have trouble meeting the relevance test at all. Let's put it this way, making a student finish some worksheet or small-time learning activity that was introduced in class three weeks ago may not be serving anyone well. No one is winning here. A question worth asking ourselves, is this really about the student's learning journey or has this become an issue of compliance? The other students jumped through this hoop so you need to too.
when it's actually worthwhile to chase students for missing work. Sometimes it is the right move to pursue students for unsubmitted work. In my mind, this happens when one of the following reasons is present. One, the specific learning activity represents a critical piece of learning or sequential growth. Two, the product represents a critical artifact, a key piece of evidence of their learning. Your summative reporting, as in your report card, won't provide a proper picture of the learning without it. If the assignment doesn't meet one of those two requirements, I don't chase the student for very long. What I'm not saying. Here's what I am certainly not saying about unsubmitted student work. One, I'm not saying that teachers should give students zeros for those missing assignments, ever. Two, I'm not saying that we should ignore persistent trends of skipped work. Three, I'm not saying that we should signal that it's fine to take a pass on assignments, or worse yet, ignore patterns of student avoidance entirely. Four, I'm not saying that resilience and responsibility and organization and commitment and other great character traits are unimportant. What I am saying is that sometimes the return on investment doesn't warrant the time and energy you're pouring into chasing. And when I say return, I'm thinking of the return for the student, too. Pursue missing work when you must and you're able. Education is a people business. Learning thrives in contexts of safety, love, and meaningful relationships. So enjoy your students, engage with them, make the most of class times, offer as much feedback and guidance as you can during learning activities that take place in the classroom or during the school day. Pursue missing work when you must, engage kindly and respectfully with the most consistent offenders, Get a sense of which two to three students in your classes are the most severe cases of I try to avoid doing any work at all and physically sit with them to offer support during class times. As for those three missing assignments out of the 27 in your geography class from the learning activity you completed last week, you could try one conversation, one reminder, one inviting comment or offer of support on your LMS. You could depending on what else is going on in the school life, you may not even have the bandwidth to reach out at all, and that's okay. Embrace the grace and choose the path of teacher sustainability. Do yourself and your students a big favor. Don't chase these students for long. This particular assignment isn't a critical brick in their learning journey and it won't be a foundational piece of evidence when you construct their picture of learning and growth for the term. So let it go. Move on. Give yourself some professional grace. Admit that you are human. Your time is bound by the laws of physics. And the day that all the fun is gone from teaching is the day that you lose your effectiveness. Here's your permission. Stop chasing those missing student assignments. My name is Tim Cavey and I'm proud to contribute to the education conversation through the Teachers on Fire podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tag me with your feedback at Teachers on Fire on your favorite social media platform. And hey, this was a controversial topic. You might have some pushback or questions or rebuttals. If you've got anything else to share, again, tag me at Teachers on Fire and I'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks again for listening to this Spark episode in these challenging times. Take care, share an encouraging message to lift up a colleague, and keep that fire for learning burning bright.